0: They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today.
1: The average steak in a grocery store touches 50 to 100 hands of machines. And we're putting that into, into our body even though it's grass-fed or it's organic. Hunters always say, oh, I'm a tip-to-tail hunter. But they leave 90% of it in the field. I mean, I've eaten coyote. I've eaten bobcat. A lot of my dishes come from People that say they hate wild game, but their favorite dish is blank. And So my goal is to create that dish and have them over for dinner and have them enjoy that dish with said wild game that they don't like. But uh, I'll say it again. I love testicles. And all these Texas boys are like, what are you doing? I was like, uh, getting every usable piece of meat. They're like, all right, cool. To say gamey, it just, it shouldn't shouldn't even be a real word. I didn't realize that the adrenal gland on top of the kidney has more vitamin C than Six oranges. No one can tell the difference. And so once you get past this idea that, you that's gross, your world opens up. This is Jeremiah Dowdy with From Field to Plate, and you're listening to Living Country in the City, Episode
0: 30. Y'all ready for your dose of flyover state spirit? Straight from the concrete jungle? Well, put down your latte and pull on your boots. It's time for Living Country in the City.
2: Hey, y'all. Welcome to Episode 30 of Living Country in the City. I just want to say a big thank you to all y'all who tune in for each and every episode. It's a huge highlight of my day whenever one of you shares an episode, reaches out, or says hello in an event. I've honestly never felt cooler in my life than when a couple of you recognized me out at Total Archery Challenge in Snowbird. And I really appreciate y'all and hope y'all keep tuning in because I've got some exciting surprises coming up. Even more awesome guests, and I'm looking forward to sharing all that with all y'all. Now, if you've been enjoying the show, make sure you search for Living Country in the City on iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever your favorite podcast platform is and hit that subscribe button. It would mean a great deal if you could head on over also and leave a quick rating and review. Y'all may not realize it, but each and every one of you that subscribes and leaves that rating and review makes a big and very real impact on the growth of this podcast by helping it move up through the search listings. I'm super excited about today's podcast because I'm talking with a fellow born and raised Southern California resident, Jeremiah Dowdy. Now, Jeremiah is not only a hunter and outdoorsman, but also a blogger and chef who specializes in recipes featuring wild game. So I'm super excited to get his insight on how to take a meal from field to plate. Jeremiah, thank you so much for hopping on the call today.
1: Oh, no worries. I'm just glad that we can finally find some time to do it.
2: Yeah, we have been talking for, gosh, a at least a month at this point, and uh, one of us will get busy, and then uh, something will happen, and then we'll get back into talking again, so I'm glad, uh, glad I finally found a time to get you on. Yeah, same. And I, I love that it took someone from all the way out in Texas to actually introduce us, and we live, what, about half an hour from each other? depending on traffic. <laughs>
1: uh, it was like a half an hour to three hours, depending on traffic.
2: Exactly. You know, you always know someone from Southern California when they don't tell you distances. They tell you uh, time of day and time.
1: It's, you know, it's Yeah, people are like, oh, hey, how far do your parents live? I'm like, ah, uh, 20 to 40 minutes. They're like, well, miles. I go, 11. They're like, what? 11 miles? It takes you an hour? I was like, sometimes.
2: Well, it's funny. I remember uh, I was visiting uh, some friends out in Mississippi, and... One of them, uh, we we're we we're going out to a bar, and I'm like, oh, how far is this bar? And they're like, oh, twenty five miles. And I looked at them like, I'm like, are you insane? We're not. And then, <laughs> but then they reminded me. They're like, no, that's not like a four hour drive, like it is in LA. That's a half an hour drive at most. And I'll be that, yeah. Albeit that's a little bit long, even for me to to go to a bar. But anyway, I digress. <laughs> um... Like I said, good to have you on the show. Uh, you know, I got to introduce to who you are uh, through Jessica Taylor Byers. Uh, you guys went out uh, on a bear trip. We did,
1: yeah. We went out to Alberta, Canada and hunted some black bears. So
2: so how did the two of you uh, get connected?
1: Uh, Jessica and I got connected through Sportsman Box. It's a monthly subscription box. Uh, two years ago, gosh. And I had a podcast back in the day called Tasting Wild. And I had her on because I was doing a segment with uh, females in the industry. So I had on uh, Julie McQueen. I had on um, Lauren from Real Camo Girl. And then I wanted a a new and up and comer. So I said, hey, I'm going to pick Jessica Taylor Byers to come on and be the new up and comer. She only had, you know, 2000 followers at the time. And now we've been at where I consider her like my little sister. And I love to watch her now have like forty, almost fifty thousand followers, and it's cool to see her progression from this girl who was scared to get on and talk on the first podcast to filming and getting on a million podcasts. It's it's cool to watch her develop and grow.
2: Well, you know, she is just she's a fantastic person. She has such a great positive attitude. Um, you know, i talk I talk with her fairly often, just about stuff that's going on with the podcast and just with my hunting trips and stuff in general and she just always has such a uh, honestly really good insight on things for me and uh and I always I always get a lot out of our conversation so she's definitely good uh a solid person
1: yeah she actually called me today she's like big brother I need help (laughs)
2: so
1: she what what you're doing to her she's doing to me so it's kind of cool to see this circle within our industry where we're not afraid to ask for help uh from somebody or guidance from somebody in an area because i think so often especially in this outdoor industry you want to be the best and sometimes being the best means not asking for help but i think truly being the best is when you do ask for help so good on her for for continuing that that aspect of it so
2: no definitely and uh also another connection, you were the one that introduced her and she in turn introduced me to the guys over at Gut Pile.
1: Yeah, Jim Clark's a good dude who started Gut Pile.
2: Yep, yep, he uh he's one of the, one of the people that always manages whenever I'm doing some random Instagram live in the mornings, he always hops on and uh and gives me a little bit of crap uh <laughs> in the morning for whatever I'm doing. But yeah, he's a good guy and uh can't wait to uh get my hands on Gut Pile fish coming out, so
1: yeah, Gut Pile Fish. I just got the mail today and I played it by myself just to see how it would, you know, I have 3 3 different people but all myself. That's how nerdy <laughs> that's how nerdy I am that I play a card game against myself. So, I got I got mad when I, you know, threw down action cards against myself, but uh, no, good guys over there. Uh, I got introduced to them. Gosh, he just sent me the game like over a year ago. He said, "Hey, I'm starting this game. Can you test it?" And I just tested the original Gut Pile and him and I became good buddies. And I'm actually, him and I are planning a moose hunt in Alaska next September. So, should be good times.
2: Nice. That is definitely, that's one of my, that's got to be like one of my top three like dream hunts right there. It'd be in, like an Alaskan moose hunt. It's up there, probably right with uh, <clears throat> something on like Prince of Wales Island or uh, heading out for, for Grizzly maybe someday. Definitely not now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, right. I'm not. I do not have nearly enough experience under my belt, and I'm not nearly a good enough shot to be willing to risk pissing off a grizzly bear.
1: Hey, all you got to do is make sure you have a friend that's slower than you.
2: Exactly. You know. Yeah, I,
1: I told Jessica when we were hunting bears, I said, hey, I love you to death, but I will knock you over I'm, I'm faster than you. <laughs> so, just be ready to do that.
2: Absolutely. Um, well, so anyway, why don't you uh, uh, give the listeners maybe a quick background kind of on... Uh, how you got your start in the outdoors and hunting and doing what you do?
1: Yeah, for sure. So I started at a young age bird hunting here in Southern California. Uh, hunt the hunting industry is a very is a very mild industry from from other states, and our big our big draw is bird hunting. We have a lot of upland game here in Southern California, from doves to turkeys to quail to chucker, uh, and then during waterfowl season, we've got some of the best Pacific Flyway. That comes right through Southern California. And so I got into bird hunting at a young age, and it really kind of, that was my comfort zone. That's where I stayed for many, many, many years. And then six years ago, uh, I found out that I had an intolerance to beef. My body cannot digest bovine fat and some some other things. And so I had to give up all red meat because of the fact that at a grocery store, all you can pick up is cows and cattle and all that kind of stuff. So I was actually at the archery range getting ready for turkey season in the fall, and I was talking to this old-timer, and he was saying that he was going to Wyoming for antelope opener, and I was like, man, I wish I could afford to hunt out-of-state, because again, hunting out-of-state is very expensive. I mean, like, I'm looking at that Alaska moose hunt, it's like $800 for an out-of-state tag. Like, that's not just something you go and do, that's something you plan, and he goes, no, doe tags are 38 bucks for a doe tagging license, For and I was like, well... I, I can afford that, <laughs> so I didn't even. I didn't even pull up my bow. I uh, went straight home, got online, bought some leftover tags, and me and a buddy jumped in his uh, Honda Civic, and we drove, we drove 18 hours to to Wyoming, and we hunted hard for a week in snow and hail and rain, and we both got an antelope, and we strapped him on top of the, his Honda Civic, and we got him home, and I hated, I hated the meat. It wasn't what my idea <laughs> So after all that time and effort, I was like, dude, this sucks. But it was because I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know how to prepare it properly. I didn't know how to butcher it myself. I didn't know anything surrounding wild game. I, I was always, if you ask me about birds, I can tell you how to how to fillet out, how to pluck any bird you want. But when it came to a four-legged critter, really was kind of in the dark about it. And I was raised on that idea that if you kill it, you eat it. So my goal was, how can I make this antelope taste good? How can I make it edible for my family? And so for a whole year, I devoted myself to understanding flavors and concepts and butchering and how things taste and what pairs well with sage, because sometimes antelope can taste like you're sucking on a sage branch, just like mule deer here in in Southern California, as well as mule deer uh, in the other states that that have them. It's a very strong, potent flavor. If you're... those whitetail guys come and eat it. They're like, this is disgusting, but that's what we were <laughs> raised on, you know? And so learned how to, how to fix that and started from field to plate, you know, a couple of years later, just out of this idea that I started getting likes, a lot of likes on posting wild game pictures and recipes. And I look back at the recipes I started three years ago and I was like, why the heck did anybody ever follow me? <laughs> They're just, you know, taken on my kitchen table, looking like crap with orange lighting. And, I kind of found my passion in in that aspect of it, of creating beautiful dishes that are simple, easy at home, that my family enjoys. And as of now, I'm completely 100% wild game in my house. Uh, either it's caught, shot, but never bought. Um, and it's kind of cool to be living 10 minutes from Disneyland and say that the only meat you eat is by your own hands or your friend's hands. So it's kind of, kind of where it's taken off.
2: So now... Uh... Living down there in Anaheim, do you get a lot of, uh, or Garden Grove, Garden Anaheim. Grove. Ah, the Garden Grove. Yeah. As as far as anybody listening to this podcast is concerned, it's the it's same in the,
1: thing. It, It's in the Sublime song. Just go listen it, to Sublime and you'll, you'll hear Garden Grove.
2: Exactly. Um, <laughs> uh, so do you get a lot of, uh, what kind of reactions do you get uh, from neighbors, things like that?
1: Uh, it started off really negative especially when I bring home a wild boar and it's hanging off the back of my truck and I'm skinning it behind my townhome. Uh, (laughs) It, it, it wasn't, it wasn't received very well from a lot of the neighbors because again, uh, it's something that's not ever talked about. It's something that's never looked about. It's not on TV shows. You go to Walmart and the hunting aisle is four pairs of shirts and you know, a camouflage backpack and that's it. So it's this, it was taken very negatively, especially at church, too. A lot of people, they didn't understand why I was doing it. But it's turned into uh, I'm throwing wild game parties for people. And I am, you know, there's older people at my church who can't afford to go out or don't have the desire to. But they're purchasing. You know, I'm buying tags for them to go out and hunt for them and give them and donate all the meat to them. Um, because they, they realize this is cleaner, better meat. And so it's kind of a cool cool transition this past two years is it went from people so disgusted by it to people that are so passionate and realize that I'm not I'm not just doing it to become famous. I'm doing it because I want to eat better with my family. I want to teach people the correct way to do it rather than just go to the grocery store and buy a
2: steak. Well, you know, I really feel like a lot of people, that's, that's the difference right there. A lot of people, when they know what you're actually doing, when they know your reasons behind it, how it, how it's done, and what the actual result is, when it's more than just that knee-jerk emotional reaction, they, they react a lot better to it. It's it's a lot more of a, of a reasonable, thought-out reaction than just that initial. Oh my gosh, there's a bloody pig in your backyard.
1: Yeah, and, and don't get me wrong. I've I've had the cops called on me because I've walked into the grocery <laughs> uh-huh. store in camouflage and blood on me. Uh, after turkey hunting to go get a bag of ice you know i've had i've had department of Fishing game at my door more times than i can count because someone on social media sees it and freaks out you know i know all our i know all our dfg guys by name now because they'll hey no, they'll just call me hey did you do this i'm like nope they're like all right cool uh, <laughs> because of the fact that it is such a a different world that um that i'm really excited about because one of my goals this next year is to create a, uh, a Southern California hunting community type deal. I want to have a big get together with everyone because the more people I find uh, through social media, they're like, dude, I live in Van Nuys or I live in San Diego or I live in Riverside or Corona or wherever it is in Southern California and they hunt, but they, have, they didn't know anyone else hunts around them. Same as you and same as I who live down here and we think we're by ourselves but our community is so big that I want to start to bring that community together and start to do more as a Southern California community to help build that, that conservation aspect up.
2: Well, you know, it's, it's one of those funny things where I feel like there's a lot of hunters down here that, that definitely long for that community and, and want to get tied in with the other hunters. But then I feel like there's a lot of people down here too. I've talked about it who almost take, take pride and want to kind of believe like I'm the only person in Southern California that hunts. And it's, it's almost a matter of like ego and pride for them. And they, they want to ignore the fact that there's anyone else that's part of that community. It's like a weird, it is.
1: And I always tell them too, I said, you know, you're really good at taking pictures of sunrises and sunsets. Um, and in Southern California, that's what we do as hunters. It's a very game rich environment with a lot of private land attached to that Mm -hmm. and the more people you know the more spots you have the more opportunities you have it's not this this is my mountain because it's not your mountain and if you could talk to guys I I find guys that go hey I've hunted this side of the mountain forever and there's no wild game on it and then I come off the mountain with two turkeys and they're like but there's turkeys up there and I'm like yeah I told you to come with me you know and it's, Mm -hmm. it's this once you get past this idea that like I was saying earlier, that I'm better than you or, or I'm the only one, then you can really start to dive into this aspect of wild game, and, and especially in Southern California.
0: Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker.
2: So now, uh, talking about wild game and um, you know the whole concept of from field to plate, uh, that really kind of encompasses everything from the second that animal goes down to the second it's go inside of you um correct yeah so what uh you know i mean i guess kind of starting from the beginning like how much does what you do in the field affect what what comes out what ends up on your plate as far as like taste and and all of that so you know you're prepping your animal in the field how much can that affect what uh what you uh, end up getting uh, in the freezer?
1: Oh, drastically. And, and it's, I did a conference on this past Saturday. We had here in Southern California, we had 25 youth and 25 adults that came to a class to learn how to skin, gut, clean a rabbit, how to cook recipes. It was here in uh, Southern California. And a lot of the, the main question from a lot of the adults was how long do I have till, to gut my animal before it goes bad? And my response is in Southern California, immediately, like you need to get that gut sack out of there. Cause you're or- right now. Hunting season is open for a lot of us. It opened July in July for archery season in uh, some, some zones. And it's 106 degrees outside. Mm-hmm. So the faster you get that out, it, it will impact the taste. And also if you're traveling too, it's, it's getting that, getting that animal on ice, getting that animal cooled down as fast as possible. Uh, you'll hear guys that talk about adrenaline and, and say that adrenaline causes it. Adrenaline, I've never, I've never really experienced that aspect of it. I think a lot of the, a lot of the the negative, you know, wild taste comes from from blood that's still within the meat uh, and how long you gut it and and how fast it gets cooled. But once you start to understand that, it's pretty simple to to get.
2: So uh, I get a lot of people that come to me when I tell them like, oh, I'm, I'm off. I'm going to hunt elk, or you know, I I, I want to hunt some deer. Their first thing they tell me is, uh, "Oh, I just can't stand it. It's too tough and gamey." It, you know, it's... I, hate, I hate that word. What uh, what's your what's your response to when people come at you uh, come at you like that?
1: First of all, I tell them, "How can a dove, a pheasant, a quail, and an elk all taste gamey? Uh, gamey gamey is a is I get this debate a lot. Gamey is a negative word in in our industry." And especially in my my aspect of cooking, n- no one rarely ever says it's gamey and they like it. Gamey is like this negative idea of what wild game is. So I, I tell people, Oh, I eat I eat, you know, mule deer. Oh, it's so gamey. And I go, Well, what does gamey mean to you? Oh, it tastes like and they start to open up this idea. So then tell me it tastes like dirt, you know. Then I'll be able to I'll be able to work with it. But to say gamey. It just it's it's not a flavor. It's not even it shouldn't even, it shouldn't even be a real word. I mean spell check spells it three different ways. So that, that tells you that nobody understands the, this concept. But yeah, I, I usually come at it and ask them what their favorite dish is. And then I create a lot of my dishes come from people that say they hate wild game, uh, but their favorite dish is blank. And so my goal is to create that dish and have them over for dinner and have them enjoy that dish with said wild game that they don't like. And that's kind of where this passion has erupted from, with someone saying, you know, I don't like pheasant because it's gamey. Okay, one of my top recipes was an orange orange chicken-style pheasant. And it came from some guy saying they don't eat pheasant. So I made this recipe, and his family, guess what? They eat pheasant. So <laughs> I take it as a challenge. I don't, I don't ever take it as like an attack on me. And if someone says wild game's too tough, it's because it's overcooked. That's plain and simple. They overcooked it or they didn't know how to properly cut against the grain when they're eating it. But I mean, you can get a, you can get a steak at at a restaurant that's overcooked tough and doesn't taste like steak. So it's all, it's all in preparation.
2: Yeah. I get a lot of, honestly, that's probably, I'd say, I mean, you know how it goes. That's the first question anybody that's not familiar with it asks you when, uh, when they find out you're a hunter is, well, what do you do with the meat? Right. And you know what is it in the words of John Mayer? You know, well, it's meat, sir. You eat it. <laughs> um, but uh, that's true. But yeah, and so you know, I get I get a lot of people, and I'll talk about it. I'll be like, well, you know, I'm also picking up a bear tag when I go out, and they're like, you can eat bear. I'm like, yeah. I mean, it tastes different depending on what time of year you're you're chasing it, but hundred um, percent. So is Yeah, that- no
1: I man. I and again, I I am the guy I mean, I had USA Today actually reached out to me earlier this year because they were asked they asked a bunch of people in the industry they wanted to interview somebody that uses every edible part of the animal and everyone's like, "Oh, you got a call from field to plate. You got to talk to Jeremiah because if it's in the animal, it's edible." Um, and if it's if it's a four-legged critter, it's edible. It might not be the tastiest of animals, <laughs> but I mean I mean I've eaten coyote I've eaten bobcat. I've eaten uh, bear during the nastiest times in November. And the deal is it's all about preparation. Like I I brined uh, my coyote for 48 hours almost and changed the water every 10 to 12 hours until it didn't smell like a dead wet dog. And I know that doesn't sound appetizing, but I made chili with it and no one could tell the difference. And so once you get past this idea that, ew, that's gross, your world opens up and I I was challenged this year, this hunting season to eat everything from the esophagus to the butthole (laughs) and and everything in between. So I've actually been doing a lot of research on native American cooking uh, and I found some recipes on lungs. So this year I'm going to eat deer lung. I'm making a tripe out of the stomach. Um, I'm going to be using the small and large intestine in different recipes by making sausages with it. So there's literally an endless supply of, of nutrients within that. Also, I didn't realize, but the adrenal gland on top of the kidney has, has more vitamin C than f- six oranges. So Native Americans used to actually eat that adrenal gland during the winter to not get scurvy. And they would pass that along to uh, explorers that were coming through that were dying of scurvy. They would say, hey, eat this elk adrenal gland. And they would eat it, and they, they would have enough vitamin C to get them through the winter, which is, to me, ridiculous to think about that there's vitamin C inside of a, an animal.
2: That's crazy. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to sit down with you sometime. Well, I don't know, either off the air or on the air before I go out, and uh, maybe maybe get some tips on if I if I get something, uh, some interesting interesting additions that I should add uh, to my to my set of quarters. Yeah. Well, actually, yeah. What would uh, if you you know you've got your typical quartering of an animal? So we'll say an elk. You know, cause I'm going yeah, out, I'm going out front, and chasing elk. Front
1: shoulders, back straps, inner tenderloins, uh, red meat and rear quarters.
2: So that's kind of, that's kind of the standard that you grab when you're, when you're packing out the meat. What would you say are, give me maybe like three things that you think are underrated or people never take that you would recommend that I, that I, uh, study up and pull out of the elk to take back with me to either eat at camp or, uh. Or take home?
1: I mean, I can go the standard heart, liver, kidneys, because most people leave that in there. Um, and even if you don't want to eat a heart, liver, or kidney, if you add those to your ground meat, it adds uh, a lot of iron and a lot of richness to your ground meat, and you'll never even realize it. Uh, but heart, to me, is one of the one of the most underrated pieces. A lot of the Midwestern guys, I tell them, hey, try this heart recipe, and they're disgusted by it until they eat it. And then they're like, oh my gosh, I've thrown 80 deer hearts away. To me, it's the flame and yawn of the animal. It's, it's better than backstrap, better than inner tenderloin. And then uh, the tongue. The tongue is phenomenal to make uh, – I make shredded tacos out of it. So you, it's really easy. You throw it in some – you parboil it for a little while. You peel off the skin. You put it back in a fresh cooker or slow cooker and let it all break down and season it. And you eat it on tacos. And I mean I've taken it to church and junior high and high school kids eat it and have no idea until I tell them. Um, <laughs> Also, if your animal has call fat, call fat surrounds uh, the stomach and the intestine area.
2: That's kind of and the webbing almost it, it around looks like it, right?
1: A, yeah, it looks like a spider web, but it's pure fat. Uh, so you can use that as bacon in a scent. So what we'll do when we're out in the bush is we'll take that, that venison heart, wrap it in call fat, and then fry it over the fire. And it helps it from drying out. It adds flavor to it. And I call it nature's bacon because that's literally what it is. So yeah, so tongue, uh, heart. If you, if you if you get a male testicles, I know it sounds funky, <laughs> uh, um, but I'll, I'll say it again. I love testicles. Uh, just don't just don't just don't tell my wife. Um, uh, but no, they they cook up well. I mean, even when I went and shot that Access in Texas and I sit there and lop them off, and all these Texas boys are like, "What are you doing?" I was like, uh, "I'm getting every usable piece of meat." They're like, "All right, cool." Um,
2: I'm making a necklace. What do you think? Yeah. You no,
1: know, I actually save I saved the sack and make a coin purse for the for the daughters, but that's a different story. <laughs> so it's it's yeah, it's this idea that there if it's edible, eat it. Uh, get over the gross factor because in America we're the ones that throw away the most. But I've been to I've been to thirteen different countries, and you'll be amazed what people eat uh, and enjoy it and what they eat first. I and mean, I when we were in we were in India and they we killed a goat for one of these tribes. First thing all the kids do is go over and they just start grabbing like the liver and just eating parts of the liver off raw, like warm and raw. It's like in America that would never happen. That goes in the gut pile. So,
2: well, it's one of those funny things. I remember I was watching an episode of uh meat eater and I remember I can't, I, I'm blanking on which episode it was, but, but Steve was talking about along the lines of he felt weird eating. Oh, it was, uh, it was when they, he had to eat a monkey. Oh, I've, I've
1: eaten monkey in uh, Thailand.
2: Yeah. I think he was, like, uh, with a tribe in, like, Ecuador or something like that. And and they were out, and uh, he had this moment of realization, like, I feel weird about this, but it's, like, it's a sign of kind of my, I hate to say it, but, like, I hate the phrase, but, like, first world privilege that right. I can have that feeling, like, and feel weird about that because to them, it's just food. They use as much of it as they can. And so, it was, it was an interesting realization. And I, albeit, I'm not sure how, uh, how open-minded I am to all of that. I, it takes a little bit for me to get over myself, but, uh, it was just, it was an interesting thought. Like you said, it's something you wouldn't see in a lot of other countries is a lot of what we leave behind going in the gut pile. So.
1: Right. No. And that's the, that's why that challenge was presented to me. And I said, all right, fine. I'll, I'll try to eat as much as I can. Um, from, from, from tip to tail as, hunters always say, oh, I'm a tip to tail hunter, but they leave 90% of it in the field. So it's like, eh. I mean, I even use bones. I mean, I use all the bones for stocks and soups and uh, bone marrow and all that good stuff. It, it, it's, it's great. I mean, I'll use the, the bone marrow sometimes and make like bone, you know, bone marrow um, sauces and stuff to go in it. Or you put the bone marrow right into a ground and make a, a bone marrow burger. I mean, here in L.A., you can get a beef bone marrow burger and it's like 26 bucks. I'm like, dude, and and these guys just throw away these bones. They can get all this marrow out of and have a $26 burger at their house. You know, uh,
2: albeit some, uh, albeit here in LA to some extent, a $26 burger isn't all that out of the ordinary for people. No, (laughs)
1: it's cheap. It's, it's actually pretty cheap. It it probably doesn't even come (laughs) with fries.
2: Yeah. Also depends on if you're ordering near Disneyland or downtown LA too. Um,
1: (laughs) yeah. Are you in the packing district? Oh man
2: yeah but uh, so what uh, if you had to pick maybe a favorite game animal that's that's one of your favorite things to either prepare or cook what what would you gun to your head what would you pick?
1: And I get this question all the time and I think <laughs> I change it I, think I I think it changes every single time depending on what my my flavor like my, my preference is but if I said if there I always tell everybody if I had to hunt one animal and eat one animal for the rest of my life it would have to be waterfowl. Um, okay. The hunt itself, the hunt, the hunt itself is my favorite hunting. Sitting in the blind, you know, cracking jokes with your buddies, trying to perfect your your calls, and then watching those ducks drop into your blind and shooting them, and the dogs working, or your your buddy who missed going out there getting everyone's ducks because that's the rule. If he if he misses, whoever misses goes out and picks up ducks. <laughs> but you know, and then getting home and and preparing this dish that just it's there's so many opportunities to, to create with that little duck. Um, so I would have to say like waterfowl itself. I know it's a lot of guys are like, "What waterfowl is not that good, but prepared correctly. It's, it's one of my absolute favorite from, I mean, egg rolls to a roasted duck. It's just incredible.
0: With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com.
2: So now what would you say, I don't know if you even have one, what would you say would be your least favorite? When, Like if somebody brought it to you and was like, hey, I want to make a dish, you're kind of like, "Uh, oh, great uh besides coyote um (laughs) uh,
1: i would i'd have to say probably like mule deer out of all the flavor like flavors that go into it mule deer is one of the one of the funkiest tasting i could say because it's it's if it's a high if it's a high mountain montana or utah mule deer tastes a lot different than those low-lying desert mule deer which are eating all the roots and cactus and stuff getting mule deer in southern california arizona uh, some parts of New Mexico, they've got a really strong sage flavor to them, so it's really hard uh, to pair that or get people excited about eating it when all they all they smell is that. You know, since smell is part of your your taste, you have to get over that smell. So I would say mule deer would be the the one that I'm usually like, hey, if I want to create something for you, I'm not pulling the mule deer out. I'm pulling the whitetail or the elk or something out to to get people excited about eating wild game.
2: Yeah, you don't have. Sounds like you don't have quite as many options with with what you can do with that flavor profile because it is so strong.
1: Yeah, there's, I mean, there's, there's ways to get around it, but like I, I made a, um, a sweet Italian mule deer chili. So mule deer or the sage pairs really well with garlic and soy and ginger and the Italian and oriental aspects of it. So if you stick to those dishes, it pairs great because it, it adds that flavor but if you try to do like a grilled steak, you're just going to be like, eh. Or if you try to make like a meatloaf, a lot of times guys are like, that's just, it's overpowering because they're not pairing those proper flavors with, with with that sage flavor.
2: Gotcha. And that's, I mean, that's something I also, especially when people ask me about bear that I I kind of have to explain to them and that they, a lot of people I don't think realize is, you know, where you as far as, you know, what the, the landscape is, you shoot, you know, the bear's been living in that you shoot, what, uh, you know, what time of year it is, and all of this stuff affects, for certain animals, a lot of the, the flavor you get out of the meat. You know, a bear that's been eating berries all spring is going to taste a lot different than a bear that's been rummaging through trash and gut piles in the summer.
1: Oh, and, and, and I mean, that goes with every single animal. I've harvested animals all across this country and Canada. And I'll tell you one thing, it, I always, hunters always get disgusted at me, but I always cut open the gut, the the stomach, and I I, I go through the stomach. It stinks, it's gross, but I want to see what that animal's eating. Not only does it make me a better hunter when I'm looking for habitat to find future animals, but it also tells me what to, what to pair that flavor with when I'm cooking it. Because if, I mean, I've opened up, you know, bears and it's been full of just dead rotten fish. Well, guess what the meat tastes like? Dead rotten fish. And so, you know, understanding that when you get into that gut pile versus taking it home and trying a dish, you don't understand how it is. But I mean, I've eaten the best turkey, the turkeys I've ever eaten are off of like an old apple plantation. And all they were eating was fermented and rotten apples. So they had this really sweet apple taste to them. Some of the grossest turkeys I've ever tasted were eating, you know, in this, um, this, I don't even know what it was growing out in this field. They're eating the buds off this. This plant and it tastes—it's like super, super sour meat. Um, so yeah, I mean, what 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 goes into your body is what you get out of your body, as we heard growing up with like, hey, don't eat McDonald's because what you put in is what you get out. Same thing goes with the animals. If they're putting in gross, they're going to taste gross. If they're putting in good, that's why a lot of these whitetail hunters are so big on their on their crops that they're planting because they want that that game to taste a certain way, like clover and or that grass fed beef aspect of it. So
2: so uh we talked a little bit about um, you know you enjoying preparing meals for friends and for for other people that uh, that you know you've talked a little bit about uh, kind of you you doing these classes for the 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 youth class as far as skinning. What else does field to plate uh, from field to plate kind of encompass what uh what what other kind of things do you do you do with from field to plate
1: I think the best part about calling myself from field to plate is it's endless. Um, I can do anything. I mean, I do a lot of stuff with youth. I take out a lot of new hunters. My goal this year that I set, if anyone was on social media they saw, was to take out 20 new hunters uh, this year, or 20 people that didn't understand hunting, that did hunt but wanted a better understanding. And part of that goal was, uh, my passion was to create a class called From Field to Plate 101. And it's finally a reality. Uh, Everyone listening to this, it's (laughs) probably... All the tickets are probably taken because it goes on sale uh, tomorrow, which is August 9th. So by the time you listen to this, sorry, hopefully you all have a class. <laughs> um, We're just taunting but, you with it. Yeah. Uh, but no, I, I, if it goes well, I will be having more classes because that's my passion is to train and develop. Uh, it, within this industry, so often people get so caught up in, in the me, in the I. And I want from field to plate. That's why you, you know, it's not Jeremiah from from field to plate. It's from field to plate because it incorporates everybody that I talk to. It incorporates all my family, all my friends. We're all from field to plate. I had a buddy text me this morning, and he has my from field to plate sticker on the back of his truck. He goes, every time I walk out to my car, I get excited that that I go from field to plate, that I, I'm a part of a, of a movement to eat better, to be better, and to be conservationists. And I think that's the whole goal for what I do is to really – teach people that it's it's your two hands. It's you getting dirty for your dinner. Uh, if you live in the city, it's doable. If you live in the country, it's doable. If you live like I do and you do in Southern California where the only grass we have is at the parks, <laughs> it's still doable. We might have to travel two to three hours to go do it, but it's doable. And if your passion's there, I want to be able to be the one that's going to reach out and help you and ask any question. I mean, I tell everyone all the time, my, my email is always open. My Instagram direct message is always open. My Facebook message is always open. And I get 20 to 30 a day. Hey, how do I do this? Or I, I want to cook this. Or I saw you cook this. Or this tastes gross. My daughter won't eat this. And then I get the other ones that, hey, I've tried this and my family loves it. Thank you so much for what you do. And I, I want to keep it simple, stupid. I want recipes that my, my seven to three-year-old daughter want to eat. I mean, I love, I love some of these wild game chefs who create dishes that are beautifully plated and look amazing. And then you look at the recipe and it's 47 ingredients and it's going to cost you 80 bucks to make (laughs) where I'm like, I don't want to go spend 80 bucks for dinner when my total grocery bill for the week is 80 bucks. So I want, you know, especially out in the city, out in the country talking to some of these farmers, they're like, yeah, I've got these books, but I can't afford it. And, but what are they eating and how can I make it uh, accessible for them to try it? So,
2: no, I think that's I think that's super important what you're doing and because to some extent I think that is the future of hunting right now. Uh that's how even more so than, you know, people passing it from you know to their children, things like that. What's gonna grow the future of hunting is people like you who are reaching out to other folks who who wouldn't be exposed to it otherwise. But because, you know, there's this huge push now for Getting rid of GMOs, you know, organic food, grass-fed beef, uh, free-range animals, all of this stuff, there's that appeal uh, uh, that may not have reached out to someone of a different generation in a different spot, but that's so important now that I think, really, that's what's going to be growing hunting for future generations more than anything else right now.
1: Yeah, so I offered... Last week, I decided that this class was going to go on last Sunday, and I put out the e- I put out the announcement on social media, and I was telling my wife that night, I'm like, man, I'm not going to get like five emails, like, just this idea. I had over 400 responses <laughs> in seven days, and 30 of those I've actually saved because they were from vegans and vegetarians who wanted to go out and do it. And it blew my mind that there was vegans and vegetarians, first of all, that were following me and not yelling at me. So I'm, <laughs> I'm usually getting yelled at by them. Um, but then they want to change it because of the fact that they, they understand what I'm doing and how I'm doing it with respect towards the animal. And they want to be a part of that. They want to be able to to eat meat again without the industries forced upon the meat. Uh, I did a video for Silencer Co. You can go on my Facebook page and watch it. It's a little four-minute video that I did about what I do and who I am. And in there, I talk about I did I was doing research for a magazine, and um, it was it's it's proven that the average steak in a grocery store touches fifty to a hundred hands and machines. Uh. fifty things to a hundred things touch your meal before it gets to your house. I mean, that's from cars to planes to tractors to farmers to workers in a factory to the grocery store people that are packaging it. That the plastic machines, all these things you think about and we're putting that into our our body even though it's grass-fed or it's organic or it's whatever you say. But as hunters, we're really living that organic lifestyle. We're really getting back to our roots. Uh, And that's why I try to teach people to do it themselves. I mean, the class I'm doing, it's literally you shoot the animal to you package the animal and take it home. Everything in between I'm going to teach you how to do from, from skinning, gutting, taking those undesirables within the inside that we were talking about earlier all the way to a full-on butcher class. You know, you take it to a butcher. If you have a good butcher and you know that you're getting good meat, you're cool with it. But I hear so many horror stories from people that take their meat to a butcher and don't even know if they're getting their meat back. Oh, and it goes, it, goes that, it goes into that whole thing. Yeah, I don't know how long you left the guts in yours. I don't know how long you left it hang in. I don't know anything that goes about it. And you're getting back this meat that you think is yours and it's really not. Not all of them are that way, so please, butchers, don't call, start calling and yelling at me.
2: <laughs> butchers Union is <laughs> angry now.
1: Yeah, there's there's many of you there's many of you that I know and I respect, and I would, if I'm in an area and I don't have time, I would totally use you, but it's also a cost factor. I mean, it costs 120 bucks to get your to get a deer processed. You can buy a good vacuum sealer and a meat grinder for 120 bucks and do it for the rest of your life, and it never going to cost you a dime. So. That's what I want to teach. I want to teach people that, you know, if you say you're going to do it, then do it. Get your hands dirty. Get out there and and enjoy your meal. I mean, pluck pl- pluck your birds and skin your animals and get the kids involved. And I came home from turkey season this, this past spring, and I shot a turkey up in uh, Davis, which is up near Sacramento, so Northern California, eight hours away. And I came home, my little three-year-old rips open the ice chest and then just sits on the ground and starts to sob. I was like, June, what's wrong? She's like, you plucked it without me. <laughs> and in her eyes, we get our hands dirty for dinner. Um, the reason I have skull mounts and turkey feathers and and stuff around my house is to remind us what we're eating and the stories that go behind it. And I had a, I had a parent call me from my daughter's school because she brought – meat to school and it was deer. And she goes, uh, your daughter said she was eating deer and I don't, I don't like her lying to my kids. And I was like, uh, I don't like your kid tattling on mine for being a liar when she's not. And it's this, it's this idea that our kids, my kids are aware of what they're eating. They can tell you the animal it came from, how far my you know, daddy's shot was or what color it was. I met mean, my, my three-year-old for Christmas or for her birthday, is asking for a pink duck call so she can go out duck hunting this year.
2: Oh yes!
1: Like so, I'm I'm I'm, I'm literally going to get the coolest pink duck call I can find. <laughs>
2: uh, That's got to be a moment of pride right there, too. You know, it's like yes, well,
1: pride for me and disgust for my wife. She's like, no, not another one. Uh, <laughs> but this year for dove season, my three year old and my seven year old are both going out opening day, so should be a lot of fun to have them out there running and you know shagging birds for me when they fall. So.
2: <laughs> That's so great, you gotta have so much uh that's gotta be such a huge sense of pride knowing that your daughters wanna follow in that and they're they're excited about it and as you said, little bird fetchers built in,
1: hey amen man, that's what I used to do
2: <laughs> um so uh as we're kind of winding down here, you know, I always like to end with um you know just some advice or any tips for. You know, brand new hunters, guys just starting to get into this, um, or you know, folks like myself who have been interested for a while but may may have not started because you know, oh, I live in the city, I'm you know, I'm not anywhere near hunting places. I can go hunting. There's just so much to learn, and you know, maybe feel overwhelmed or super intimidated. Um, Especially you living in you know, being a Southern California resident, living. In the middle of the city, you know, you're not you're not way out in the Inland Empire where it's not that far to the mountains or whatever. You know, you're right. what uh, What would you tell that person? What advice could you give them?
1: I uh, I always tell all all new hunters or existing hunters who are trying to get better is don't be afraid to fail, uh, don't be afraid to do something wrong. Uh, we get we get told so much in this society that you have to be perfect you have to wear a certain amount of you know, a certain clothing brand or you have to drink a certain protein shake or you have to you know be a crossfit athlete to go out and do this be the best you that you can be and don't be afraid to to fail don't be afraid to screw up don't be afraid to bring the wrong gun to the field and get made fun of um i know that one of my friends who listens to your podcast hi steven i know you're going to hear this cuz you were talking to me about it today <laughs> um, he was like, "Oh, I heard I was listening to a podcast and I heard you talking about gut pile." I was like, "Oh yeah, I'm gonna be on that soon." He's like, "What?" So that's good for you. Um, but Stephen, the first time, I mean, he reached out to me on social media, and said, "Hey, I'm a Southern California hunter, want to get into it?" And you know, he came out to the dove field and he had on he had a gun with a little short barrel, you know, like a little 18 inch barrel, and was trying to shoot dove that are flying super fast and around him. And and instead of him getting ups, upset when I went over and gave him another gun to use because he would be better at it, he took it with stride. And he, he he grabbed that gun, and he went and shot birds. And he he was not afraid to learn from someone that that had gone before him. Because guess what? I screwed up. I still screw up a lot. And I still learn every time I go out. Every time I hunt with somebody new, I'm learning. I, I, I take one positive and one negative And I build on that positive, and I try to fix the negative in my life. So that's the biggest thing, is don't be afraid. And, and don't be afraid to reach out to us. I know that it gets intimidating seeing a, a very large social media following. Like, oh, I can't reach out to this person because they're too popular or they're too whatever. That's 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 BS. If they don't re- if they don't reach out to you, then you shouldn't be following them anyway. Because um, we're all in this to better our industry. And I I run my social media. There's no person behind the desk that does it. So if you reach out, you're getting me, and I'll talk to you through anything. I'll work through anything. Um, there's a lot of non hunters that follow me and ask me cooking questions, just regular cooking questions <laughs> or, or butchering questions. Hey, I, I got a chicken. How do I, how do I prepare it? So it doesn't have to be hunting related, but yeah, my door's always open. But the biggest thing I say is just don't be afraid. Don't, don't be afraid to go out there with, with jeans and a t-shirt and go hunt because the deer don't care. Uh, you don't have to be in a hundred percent camouflage with face paint on to kill a deer. Uh, the, I always hear stories of, like, the old-timers who laugh at us because they still go out in jeans and flannel. And, we, you know, I walked out with one guy in the turkey field. He had on jeans, flannel, and a cowboy hat. And I was in complete head-to-toe, you know, mossy oak. <laughs> and he goes, he goes mm, well, you, I, I know you're pretty fancy, but I, I, I could still kill a bird too. And it always stuck with me that you don't have to be the industry idea to go out and get your own food, so...
2: I definitely catch myself a lot of the time slipping into that, you know, I think I mentioned it earlier before kind of we started, I, you know, I'm I'm cataloging all my gear right now. I'm going through, I'm weighing stuff, and I'm I'm figuring out what I need to take, and I catch myself when I have something that's not exactly what I want it to be, or that weighs how much I want it to, or whatever it is, like oh man how you know this is just gonna screw me up so bad and I'm like no it's not it's really not people I mean I consider myself lucky I had some extra funds saved away so I was able to pick up some some high-end gear but there's a lot more successful hunters out there than I you know that have been doing it for years with a lot less than I have and it's it's an important thing you know like you said, I mean, we set the bar so high for ourselves and that transfers over to other people, too. Um, you know, it's just it's important to get out there and do it. Don't uh, don't let all of this all of this stuff just prevent you from getting out. So
1: 100 no, percent. Yeah. And it's 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 hard too. this industry too. watch someone get a brand new bow every season. You know, I have a, I have a buddy down here, and he's like, "Man, I gotta go get a new bow because so and so got a new bow." And I'm like, "Dude, your bow is only eight months old. Like, who cares if the cam shaved off a millimeter of a you know percent of this? A stick and a string will kill an animal. I mean, it's 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 how you use your equipment. And I mean, I'm still using the same shotgun that I got when I was 18. I mean, I've been offered Benelli's and I've been offered all this other stuff, and I go out with my Beretta that I bought when I was 18 and That's my gun. It's not the fanciest, not the prettiest, but guess what? It's killed a heck of a lot of animals and it's filled the freezer. Uh, you know, I, I go out with old fly rods. I go out with, with old, you know, Shimano roll, you know, reels that were my grandpa's and stuff. And you just go out and do it. And guess what? I catch as many fish as those guys that have the (laughs) high dollar reels. I shoot as many duck and as many quail and as many pheasant as those guys that are walking around with the $12,000 guns. Um, is it nice to shoot those? Oh yeah, it's nice. Is there a difference? Yeah, hey, you can feel a difference, but you don't need it. You know, you can use a hand-me-down to get started. And again, like you said, once you got those extra funds and you want to spoil it, go for it. But just know that next year there's going to be something new that's coming out that's lighter and faster. So just just be comfortable in in what you have and, and enjoy it, man. That's just what hunting's all about is getting out and enjoying the fellowship with your friends and fellowship with nature. And And if you get to bring home meat, great. If not, well better than sitting at home so
2: absolutely so if people wanted to find from field to plate uh, online follow what you're doing uh, where's the blessed blessed uh, best place to search you out
1: uh the blessed place is go to church uh, on sunday <laughs> with me i'll save you a spot in the pew. uh no the best place uh instagram pretty pretty central from field to plate that's really easy facebook's from field to plate from field to plate.com if you go to Twitter, it's from field the number two plate because you can't have that many uh, characters. But yeah, if you pretty much type in from field to plate in Google search, I'm going to pop up. I'm going to be right there uh, full of recipes. I've got recipes all over my site uh, with animals. I'm redoing my site to make it more user friendly, but it's jam packed full of it. Uh, I've got some fun stuff coming up this new year with working on cookbooks and a bunch of other stuff that are kind of idiot friendly. And uh,
2: so, yeah. That's fantastic, and I'll make sure to post up all those links on my show notes page. That'll be livingcountryinthecity dot com slash thirty. You can find uh, all the links to your stuff up there. Well, any uh, any final parting thoughts before we sign off? Yeah,
1: when are you and I gonna go uh, hike to the observatory? Because it looks like that's your favorite thing to do. So
2: <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's the only place five minutes away that I can do before work, and it manages to kick my butt every time, but I don't know. Dude, uh,
1: this Saturday we're supposed to have the, uh, meteor shower. Yeah. The observatory is going to be killer up there with all the, with less light pollution. So
2: that's not a bad spot. I actually, I'd probably rather try and get up to like, uh, Mount Hollywood or something like that. Cause you know, the observatory is going to be packed to the gills.
1: Yeah, but you can go nerd watch. That's the best part. <laughs> watching all the, all the nerds out there with their telescopes. They're pretty exciting let's do but no i think yeah i think parting words just have fun man and it's exciting i'm excited that there's other people in socal that have a passion for this and and a desire to change our industry and to change southern california's idea of what a hunter truly is we're not we're not all rednecks We're, we're normal people who just like to get out and do it ourselves
2: no absolutely thank you so much for hopping on the show man and we will uh hopefully uh talk again soon maybe uh Maybe do a how-to episode uh, once, uh, once I get some wild game in the freezer.
1: Oh, yeah, and I, I've got a big hunting season, so I should have tons in the freezer, too. So
2: Awesome. All right, y'all, that'll do it for episode 30 of Living Country in the City. Make sure you head on over to our show notes page at com slash 30 to get those links so you can check out from field to plate and give Jeremiah some love. In the meantime, keep it country,
0: y'all. Thank y'all for listening to Living Country in the City. Get show notes and check out the blog, product reviews, events, and more at livingcountryinthecity.com. One of the most legendary shows in the outdoors is on Waypoint TV. Don't miss Primo's Truth About Hunting, Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. I'm Will Cooper, host of HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast. For even more content, be sure to watch the original films from HuntStand Presents on the Waypoint TV channel every Tuesday at 10 p.m. Eastern. Visit waypointtv.com to learn more.